Hey ladies and gentlemen, this is Luminous. And this is Rico. And welcome to another episode of Top Deck Time. This is episode 21. And we have quite a bit of eternal stuff to talk about. But before we get to that, let me welcome my lovely co-host. It's Rico from uh, <laughs> Australia. No, Austria. I, I knew I, one of these days. One of these days I was going to mess it up. <laughs> and uh, you, you've been in Austria, but you've actually been traveling a little bit, right, this week? Yeah, right. We, um, we've been visiting some relatives of Carla. It has been absolutely lovely. Like, the weather was great. We were at the lake, which was great. So we were, like, just bathing, um, enjoying our times and uh, getting the most delicious food. Um, cooked by her aunt and uncle. They both, like, they, they have a garden and they grow vegetables. So every day there was, like, um, freshly harvest, harvested vegetables. And, yeah, it, it was it was just great. I loved it. It actually takes us a lot more work than you might imagine growing up, like, fresh vegetables. Yeah, 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 Especially if you're doing a lot of variety. Uh, I would know because my dad also does a little bit of home gardening. Mm-hmm. And every, every month the, when the water bill comes... My mom's like, why, why are you doing this? So you just buy, buy the vegetable <laughs> from the store. But she also appreciate the, like, obviously the higher quality of, of food that mm-hmm. you just grow and control. But so af- after a little bit of a lake vacation, you also went to a, a wedding. In a yeah, different... a co-worker of mine got uh, married yesterday. Cool. Um, And we were invited. And yeah, it was, it was very nice. Like both of them, they are just a lovely couple and... It was it was obvious that they were going to get married as soon as I first saw them. So uh, it was it was nice to be there when it happened. Nice. Well, for myself, uh, nothing has happened a lot. In fact, I haven't really been able to go out at all this week. Hong Kong has been hit with two huge typhoons. I think the oh. first one we got hit was the strongest typhoon in the last five years. I'm not sure whether you've seen pictures, but. Remember, I, I said I overlooked the the airport, and then there's like it's like right. across this big bay, right? Uh, during those really big typhoons, I I couldn't even see the airport, which is normally very cl- clearly visible to me. It was like crazy. The storm is insane outside, so couldn't really uh, walk my dog outside. Uh, mostly been staying home, and then just today we had yet oh, another man. typhoon. But I'm I'm uh, I'm more of a stay home guy anyway. So play a lot of Eterno. Read a lot of books, so that was good. The bright side, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Bright side to everything. Okay, so that is uh, what's going on with us. Actually, before we go on with the news, um, yesterday I had uh, a lot of time on my hand, as as it happens with typhoons, and I checked on our like our iTunes podcast called Top Deck mm-hmm. Time, right? And I've noticed that somebody left us a five star review. So wow. I was like, hey, I know. And you know they left this review like at May, so I just feel like really oh bad. Jesus! So it's like you know it feels like something that this is uh, we should keep uh, on on top of. So I just feel like it's you know I, I should read it out. On on May twenty nine, the Airmaster said, "Thanks guys for the quality podcast strategies and deck list every episode. One of the best eternal podcasts out there." And uh, like reading that, I, I just like hmm, I'm happy. And then at the same time, I was thinking. Have we like gone down <laughs> from that point? <laughs> because you know, I, I know in between there was a couple of weeks that we really had nothing to talk about apart from waiting yeah. for the new set two. Um, and even even now, set two has come. We haven't really gone crazy with a new deck every week. Although I think we still have a deck every single week. So this this comment has like re-energized the motivation for us. And also, I, I think uh, even if people aren't leaving like reviews on iTunes, I, I know a lot of people are very supportive. Uh, on the subreddit i think every week there is always somebody's like hey you guys are doing a good job keep it up stuff like that which i speak for the both of us when you say that we really appreciate that those type of comments keeps us motivated and uh, makes us uh, look forward to recording every sunday absolutely and thanks again to airmaster was it yes that's a very nice review you guys could also leave a review on itunes (laughs) and we will make sure to read it at least three months after you posted it yeah, hopefully before <laughs> three months. I think that's probably the best way to support us right now if you want to spend that two minutes to support us. If not, consuming the content is always good. But enough selling out. Uh, <laughs> let's actually let's actually uh, talk about Eternal. So news-wise, we had an event this week. 
You want to talk a little bit about the event? Yeah, so there was a, a solar eclipse uh, in in large parts of America, if I'm if my information is correct there. So Direwolf Digital decided to make an eclipse event where you needed to play at least 25 shadow cards, which I think was very flavorful. And um, the special event rule was that each player would draw an additional card at the start of his or her turn. Really, like, change the deck building process um, because, like, not only do you have to play at least the 25 shadow um, cards, um, the drawing an extra card really does buff or nerf, quote-unquote, uh, a lot of cards. Like, for example, um, card draw in general or echo cards, like, everything that usually grants you a card advantage got significantly worse with this, uh, with this rule because, like, you would be... you wouldn't be running out of gas either way because you would draw... The extra cards every turn so you'd rather spend your power like developing the board or or maybe like removing something of your opponent rather than just drawing cards in my opinion yeah speaking more to that i saw a couple of people playing things like haunting scream and yeah, yeah, yeah. personally i feel like the payoff of haunting scream which is getting your gorgon fanatic through to draw three extra cards mm-hmm. that payoff to me is less it's significant gone. now well not yeah. gone it, it, you still draw three which is not bad but you know, compared to where everyone just draws one card, you know, I, I think it's less significant. To be said, though, I, I did lose a couple of times to the Hunting Scream deck, so yeah, there, there's something there. Um, but also drawing an extra card per turn allows you to go for a little bit more, normally very shaky strategy that needs a couple of different pieces to go, like, work together, like combo pieces. Mm-hmm. I've seen mm-hmm. a lot of Grasping of Shadows deck for, like, Vara or not. I uh, imagine those are you know you, you see more cards. Uh, in fact, I have I had an opponent where like turn one just like didn't play anything just to discard Vera. <laughs> Reminded me <laughs> of like vintage uh, yeah. the animator decks uh, in in Magic the Gathering. Um, I personally piloted uh, a Xenon Life Force deck, which I you know two weeks ago when we played it for Katra, you know one of the weaknesses of the deck is that you're playing a lot of very weak pieces together, right? A lot of your cards are very joke. Think of Sanctuary Priest. Think of was that three two when you attack, you you, you yep, gain a yep. life life trigger. Like those cards are almost a joke. But if you're drawing two extra cards a turn and you're essentially assembling a combo piece of Katra plus life gain, uh, once you do find the Katra, you just win. I also had a great time playing with Water of Life and the new improve. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it Blood Invocation? The the life force card that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> It, it, I was just like memeing people out where like on turn turn three or four I would just like water or life water or life and then play two of those I have two six sixes <laughs> just like hard for my opponent <laughs> to deal with and then you know water of life is also ironically super powerful with Katra I, I don't think you normally get away with it in a normal like ladder kind of thing because drawing water of life is so bad but here you're drawing two cards a turn so you're you could afford to pl- put a little bit of stinkers in your deck because your overall payoff is so powerful. So I had a lot right. of fun playing playing that deck. Yeah, also like one of the biggest problems for the deck was Harsh Rule. And the restriction that you need to play at least 25 Shadow Cards meant that there oh, were yeah. like way fewer Justice decks running around than usual. So Harsh Rule wasn't as much of a problem. Plus, like even if you did get Harsh Rule, you just refill your hand so quickly that it, that it was okay. You Like you could survive a Harsh Rule under those rules. So yeah, that was a fine choice. Other decks that I've seen people play were like the Hero of the People Revenge deck that was yeah. like quite popular. And that deck also really benefited from uh being able to draw extra cards on both ends like on the one uh on the one hand it's a combo deck basically. So you need to find a Hero of the uh, People pretty much like the deck is rather weak without it. And the other hand, uh, the other end it helps on is like when you revenge ca- your cards, you just get to them way quicker. So yep. revenge, like you, you revenge to your units in half the normal time, which is a pretty uh, substantial buff. Did you actually play the uh, event yourself? Yeah, I played the event, and I, I like I played the Hero of the People deck once. <laughs> I played um like I played a couple of decks once. Uh no actually I played one twice. Uh so I played the uh Blood Ride Kaldis. 
which is another deck that like um huh. needs to hit a certain key card and also like right, the right. Kali's um like like one of the advantages of the Kali's deck is that um it can get a very very large advantage early on and it can try to kill the opponent before the card advantage matters and there was the there was a the plan behind that and and i guess a couple of people have tried burn queen <clears throat> to do the same like if you're killing your opponent when it doesn't matter if he has one or 10 cards in his hand right true um yeah the uh i i also tried like uh uh the means to an end combo deck yeah <laughs> uh, well i think we'll talk about that a little bit more later on sure yeah, yeah it, it wasn't great but it was fun then um I, I played mono shadow two times i just i don't know colin i we just put all of the shadow cards we liked into the deck and that that was the deck we got the best results with actually oh interesting okay yeah did you um, uh think about iron manacle at all or? yeah i thought about it but then i didn't have any light diffuse and i just couldn't bring myself to craft them what you don't have any light diffuse no like i that's only have a, one or two i think that's a problem man uh it de- depends <laughs> <laughs> yeah like i only have two like I, I i would have liked to do that actually but um i'm I'm currently trying to premium out all my banners and seeds and that's freaking expensive so all right so you basically bought bought premium sigils with real money to actually spend more in-game money to make the rest of your deck premium. Yeah, right. That just doesn't make sense to me. But then, I guess on a certain level, it also does. I mean, it's we... totally logical, right? Pay, pay to lose, pay to win, or whatever. Right, no, pay to lose, absolutely. Um, so I think one of the, or if not the best card of the event, was Steward of the Past. And I... I'm fairly certain that if you didn't play Steward of the Past, you had a very you you've had to have a very good reason not to, just because it's um, Vera is probably the strongest end game uh, or has been the strongest end game um, in this event. So Steward just naturally counters it, uh, and Echo Revenge or just Revenge cards on Hero of the People was also a big part of the meta game, which also gets shut down by Steward. Plus you have like a couple of into, like Umbran Reaper. <clears throat> was a popular card as well so yeah i think that like steward was one of the best if not the best card of the event so i i only played a xenon life force deck i had three runs mm-hmm. three runs with it so to me it was much more polarizing right the xenon life force deck just has some crazy matchups let's say think of burn cream burn cream gets me down a 10 and then i just have a board of eight eights and i just kill you like with with yeah, instant yeah. life gain so and then, you know, there is a deck that lightning stormed me on turn two and I just lost. So you know, there there's that too. Um I, I I think in a vacuum I agree with your statement about store being probably the key card, but it also really comes down to what your opponent's playing. If your opponent isn't playing that's that sort of like revenge or, or long grinding kind of deck, I'm not sure how much store it's gonna do because it's a four drop. I felt like the the speed of this event is actually much, much faster. Like really, really fast compared to the rest of the ladder, let's say. Really, I I really didn't think so to be honest. I like most of the games I most of the games I played where they went to like where a player had like thirteen or fourteen power. Oh, I see. Again, I, I've been playing yeah. Zen Life Force, so my games are ending on turn four, five or six. But you know, one thing about drawing two cards a turn is that people are not missing power drops as often, so the game gets yep. to progress much faster. Let's not talk too much about the event specifically. I'm, I want to actually talk about the possibility of future events. Because, you know, mm-hmm. when, when we talked about the events, we, we thought they were doing pretty standard stuff. You know, they had a couple of events where you just kind of, like, queued with the ladder deck. This is really the first time where... I mean, it's not the first time we had to construct something different, but the first time where the rule of the game has really changed. Yes. It really gave me the feel of... Uh, there's something that uh, Hearthstone does. It's called Tavern Brawl. Where mm-hmm. they like, they give you a, a kind of a, a crazy rule every week, and you have to build a deck for that rule. And I think this really speaks to the, the deck builder inside of me, right? Like, yeah, I I recently got a couple of friends into Eternal, and you know this new event hits. Even though my collection is full and theirs is not, we're essentially starting with the same at the same point in terms of 
like what's a good deck they're asking me what's a good deck for this event i was like i don't know i've never <laughs> kind of like played a game or build decks under this particular rule set right so you know what is for next week they have an event and it's the rule set of limitless possibility where you know the everyone start with a crown of possibility essentially and you know you go from there who who knows what's the best deck is probably clock roaches probably but... roaches <laughs> like yeah but that's my point right like i, I think mm-hmm. the fact that they did this event i don't know if it's just for the eclipse thing or or, or not but i i hope that they do more of it because it's really fun yeah i hope so too also uh worth noting is that this was the first week uh week time event i'd say the all the other events have been like weekends uh and maybe plus friday and or monday sometime um but like this was the entire week okay so i hasn't noticed right i I think one of the counter arguments to having a week-long event is that i think people said that the queue time would be longer but i think every time i queued during even the weekdays it was just like five seconds six seconds so yeah i wasn't affected by that yeah yeah evidently everyone was playing the event so that's definitely cool well, yep. so that is, uh, I guess, the eternal news. We also had a midweek tournament here this time. Don't want to go too much into the particular deck list, but the winning list is Combray Midrange. So think of your uh, Awakened Students, Tranquil Scholars on two. Of course, you're playing Knights, uh, Chancellor Seraph. You're playing Valk, Enforcer, Sandstorm Titan, four Xenon Obelisk, and four Reality Wardens. So I want to talk about Reality Warden real fast. The card has always been, I think, undervalued, it, uh, underappreciated in terms of how beefy is five power seven mm-hmm. seven, and would, you know, practice mid range walking around all these days. A seven seven just kind of outclass what what you could see on the other side, right? Think of the yep. units that are coming from the other side. It's hard to vault a six six. And it also stops the Dawnwalker recursion. Sure, Con- yeah, stops uh Dawnwalker recursion, which is huge. Also, incidentally, shut down some like random values you're trying to get with things like uh, revenge and stuff like that so mm-hmm. I don't even own 4 but I-, I guess I should craft that last one if I want to give Cumbria midrange a spin yep so shout out to Werewolf for winning the esports weekly um, other I think another notable is that uh, Lights Out Ace uh, finally uh, like or I-, I don't know about finally but he like he took second place um, with his knucklebone control, which yeah. I think is pretty cool. The uh, doubter um, in Enrico is slowly dying. The what? The doubter in you is slowly dying. Oh no, uh, I, I, I'm still full of doubt. But like, I, I am happy <laughs> that I'm happy for him that he that he should get to second place with the deck. Yeah. I think that's cool. Yeah, and then there was like an Argentpod mid range on three Uhuru flies at fourth place. Uh, another Archimport at 5th, Rakano at 5th, Chalice, and Dinosaur midrange. Uh, oddly enough, not featuring the Watch of the Big Ones, which we um, talked about um, during our last episode. But what we didn't mention was that he now is a Dinosaur Explorer. So he yes. works on both ends with Evelina. I'm interested to try it out like a, a Dinosaur package with Dragon Breath mm-hmm. in the Dinosaur deck. But that's probably a deck that we might visit. I'm not sure how interested we are in playing that particular deck because, like I mentioned last week, the deck essentially builds itself. There's not much yep. wiggle room. But, you know, that's we'll true. see. We'll see how it goes. So that's uh, your kind of your meta breakdown of this week. Any kind of other esport news you want to touch on before we get into the main topic of the day? Um, I No, I don't think so. Okay, so the main topic of the day is talking about how wrong we were. Uh <laughs> In the past couple of weeks during set two spoiler season, you know, we were evaluating each individual cards as it came out and we're talking about, you know, oh my God, this card's great or this card's not so amazing. And this episode is going to be us kind of revisiting some of those cards and perhaps explaining why we made our initial decision and why those decisions or those opinions has not really like followed through. Um, starting with the first card, this is a good example to kind of tell you guys what we're really doing. Talk about Groundbreaker, right? When Groundbreaker first came out, we're like, oh my god. Second coming of Sandstorm Titan, this card is going to be absolutely amazing. And then, uh, where are the Groundbreakers now? I don't think I've even seen a Groundbreaker in, in like two weeks. Yeah, they, they, they didn't break much ground. Um, and I, I guess part of the reason is that 
Um, a, it's very hard to fit into a lot of decks just because of the triple fire requirement. And B, it's not super easy to ignite the spark on him, um, so it's not a given. And playing it as a 3-6 is not, it's, it's just really not good enough. Um, and if you want to, like, spark it, you just play into removal a lot. And plus, like, um, the groundbreaker, just the, the, the groundbreaker decks aren't inherently super powerful against Archimport midrange or Praxis, I think. Okay. Uh, well, maybe they can overrun Praxis. I don't know about that, but you have to be super heavy into fire. Um, and now with Flame Blast nerf, that it, that's even harder to do, probably. So yeah, Groundbreaker is certainly a card that uh, I have uh, expect, expected more of. Uh, so uh, yeah. How big do you think it is? The fact that Spark gives you double damage instead of, let's say, giving you plus three attack. Obviously, double damage is better, especially if you could buff it in either way, but the fact that Groundbreaker doesn't bring back the Dawnwalkers, because you say three fire influences a lot, but the Praxis midrange decks are playing hard to vault. Like, they are planning to hit three fire. So Yeah, however, if... however, there's a big difference between hitting three fire on turn six or on turn four. I agree with that point, but I'm saying, imagine if you make a spark and it, it, you play a four power six six, essentially. Which does trick trigger back Dawnwalker activations. Like, do you think that would allow Don, uh, Groundbreakers to be part of Praxis midrange decks, as opposed to I, now? It's I just don't like... think so, to be honest. Okay. Um, just because uh, the Praxis midrange decks, they don't necessarily have the option to spark by turn four because their their early they drops aren't, aren't super strong. Yeah, um, they could th in theory do that. Uh, it's not super easy to go Dawnwalker into into a triple fire card though. <laughs> sure, um, sure. <laughs> so yeah, I I don't think that would be too much. Uh, that would be making too much of a difference. Sure, returning okay. Dawnwalker is great and all, but like I don't think that would be enough. I don't know what would be though. Like it's very very hard to like tweak the card so that I think it would be playable just because it's a very very powerful card in theory. So I think. Like, I, I, I wouldn't think that I knew the answer to how this would be good but not broken. Now, a card that I had my eyes out for uh, during the spoiler season was a card called Stone Shaker. 3 power 1-1, one, one, summon reduce the cost of each unit in your deck by 1. Don't think that the card has really done of like anything. The only yep. deck that he's actually in is the jam all the warp cards in, and he is actually very strong in that deck. Do you feel like this card is one of those cards that you want to keep an eye on as the ex expansions of Hearthstone, sorry, expansions of Eternal get rolled out in the future? Or do you um, think this card just, it's just not powerful enough because it costs too much or, or whatnot? No, I think it's a, it's an interesting effect just uh, because there might be other cards or there might be cards that are concerned about the cost of an actual card. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, Okay, so banish um, for banish the the cost matters, but like there might be cards coming where it matters in a positive way, right? And then Stone Sh Shaker might be more interesting. Also, there might just be um, some other warp cards incoming, in which case it becomes better. Uh, as of right now, I don't think he has a home, uh, except for maybe the heavy warp deck, which is horrible. Please don't play it unless you. <laughs> uh, yeah, unless you want to have a very exciting match against the Gauntlet, it's but you lose about eighty percent of your match as as soon as you hit the play button. But sometimes yeah. you you can make those wins that you're not supposed to win, and I guess you just live for that high, you know, twenty percent of the time. <laughs> no, is... absolutely. Like I'm not saying I'm not saying I haven't played it a ton. I'm just <laughs> saying I wouldn't recommend it if you are uh, into climbing. <laughs> yeah. Also, a, a new card in set two is a card called Don Walker. Mm. Uh, he's absolutely everywhere. Actually, not a new card, but might as well be new. Like I don't think I've seen so many Don Walkers uh, compared to yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, for an sure. actual new card in set two that plays well with Don Walker is Shepherd's Horn. So a couple episodes back, we kind of made a Shepherd's Horn list that mm -hmm. honestly I'm quite proud of. I think the list uh, has been like eking into ETS top 8s. I've definitely seen people playing this list quite a bit, so 
It's a mm-hmm. uh, Praxis Shepherd's Hornless Splashing for Justice for some uh, cowboys in Seraph. But the idea is you get to basically play Horn and just like play Dawn Walkers and keep recurring Dawn Walkers for a ton of lives. And, you know, when we both solve this card, we're like, yeah, this card sucks. <laughs> and then once we start playing around, there's like, wait, can we have Shepherd's Horn on three every single game? Because this is kind of amazing. To be fair, I don't think we that our initial assessment was that it sucked per se, but um, I definitely undervalued it. Yeah, um, the the power of a horn on turn three is not to be underestimated. Unfortunately, it got nerfed last week, which is a shame. Um, like I I played the I played the horn deck a couple of games this week, and I managed to get it banished a couple of times. True. <laughs> So, so that was poor, but uh, overall, like the card is uh, very strong in what it can do. Like not only the the power ramp, but holy, you can gain a lot of life with this card. Like we we played a couple of games together, even and like it's it's not uh, not unheard of that you go into the triple digits. Yeah, every time I play Shepherd's Horn and I get to seventy life, it's like why don't I have Hall of the Lost King in my deck just for <laughs> that for that one moment. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next time card that I I think we even we didn't even talk about because we thought it was essentially a draft card was Archive mm-hmm. Curator, four power one four flying summon. You may silence another unit. I don't need to tell you guys why Desert Marshal or Valkyrie Enforcer has been such a mainstay in the kind of the latter meta game, but now the the time only card of Archive Curator allows you to put a silence effect in things like Praxis Midrange, like Praxis mm-hmm. Midrange in particular really has issue dealing with some like problematic units let's say maiden or let's say serso right like yeah maiden serso mystic ascendant i think are the biggest problems yeah. like with the mystic ascendant you have to be able to obliterate it right away or it's just going to take over yeah and i also even see uh some chalice controllers pop a couple of these mm-hmm. in there obviously yeah. a flyer that you could grow with a chalice um, although they, they do have Desert Marshal, or at least the option to play Desert Marshal, I've definitely seen decks kind of playing Archive. Uh, yeah, they just well. uh, they they run the four Marshal as per usual, but like uh, add in another one or two Archive Curator. Uh, archive Curator. Yeah. Just to have more silence. Do you think only, like, is only Praxis benefiting from it? Like, let's talk about, you know, the other combinations that don't have silences. Let's say. Uh, I know uh, that Tiger HC, um, you probably know him uh, as one of the best, if not the best, killers pilot. He was very interesting playing them in his scene and killers decks. Interesting. Because they have things like, you know, uh, Varus Choice as a silence effect if they want. Yeah. But I guess like just um, being a unit is pretty high upside, and uh, various choices not really, not really caught on. Like I haven't seen a lot of them, and I think that's uh, largely due to the fact that like a three power return a unit to its hand is not good enough when you can play a three mana to destroy this unit instead, and the discard is also rather slow, so. The rate on various various choice just isn't as good as um, getting a one of our flyer that silences the unit in play. Regardless, you pay you pay an extra power to silence. They don't have to play again, but you get a one four body. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, another pair of time cards that we were both extremely excited, like really really excited to to making things work is Waystone Infuser, and I I, I was as well as uh, Beckoning in Lumen or. Becky Lou, as people in the the scene has been calling it, you know, we we thought these are insane value engines when we first saw it in the spoiler season. They really have, especially Waystone Infuser. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, we we played Waystone Infuser. It's never really been a four of in the decks I've tried it. Like, mostly just as a two of. You know, the whole like, hey, two six body blocks well and all that jazz. All of that is still true. It's just, I don't know, it hasn't really been doing anything crazy. Well, it has been doing some crazy stuff in Chalice decks. Okay, yeah, Chalice. It's it's really, 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 really good in Chalice decks. Um, but unfortunately, yeah, not not as good in in, in other decks uh, as I would have hoped. At least, like I was very high on that card, and unfortunately, it didn't quite take off yet. 
<laughs> yeah. I want to say. Um, <laughs> as for Beckoning Lumen, I I wasn't the biggest fan of the card to begin with, but uh, but yeah, it really didn't have any any showing that I've seen of, except for this uh, Camel deck that some uh, popular Eternal player once played, and I, I spectated him. I think it was Luminous Inverse. Not my list, but we play uh, a Camel Mask of Tormentless, and you know you just you have four back to Lou in there because it also helps you draw cards and and whatnot. Yeah, it's fine there. I I think that really the problem with particularly Waystone Infuser is that right now we're in a meta game where turn five is so important. Like your mm -hmm. opponent is playing, I don't know, Heart of the Vault even on turn five because they have like let's say Initiate the Sand, and you're two yeah. six that essentially quote unquote draws you a card maybe sometimes it's just very embarrassing compared to a 6-6 six -six that kills something and draws a card yeah so it's eh. also we are living in a world of like um, obliterates and carnosaurs yeah and um just and 6-6s six slay like slay yeah. I mean slay yeah. is just such a good removal and it's also trading up against waste and infuser so yep it's a hard time so even though this card has warp, uh, and your powers of warp, we have not been too impressed uh, with it. But there are some warp cards that we've been like we we definitely underrated. We thought like Shadow Glass Mage. I, I remember we spent like a good ten minutes talking about Shadow Glass yeah, Mage. Holy, like, I was wrong about that card. Yeah, we were Ooh. both wrong. And then also played a Goliath. We're like, oh yeah, this is a good draft card. If you get to warp it, you know you're in good shape. But to be fair, like I haven't seen. People play played Goliath a bunch on ladder, but like I have been, and I was very, very happy with it every time I drew or warped it. Actually, so I'm kind of I, surprised that it hasn't taken off more. Well, I mean, on six you're competing with Predatory Carnosaur, right? Like, yeah, Carnosaur to vault, me, obviously, yeah, Heart of the Vault. So like the six slot is very, very crowded. That's so true. I could, I could definitely understand why uh, it's not been played, but in particularly with the Shepherd's Horn list that we played, we I think played Goliath is a four of. Yeah, uh, it, it's just such a insane powerful card. I, I think though, for this particular category, it's more so that we heavily underrated uh, Shadow Glass Mage. Mm -hmm. Like she's That's just true. a beast. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh... No, honestly, I, I I specifically remember saying like, well, he's a dust. Uh, dust hoof brawler with maybe sometimes an upset, and holy, <laughs> 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 yeah, no, um, I like. I get wrecked by that card regularly, and I also, like, every time I play it, it just feels so good. Yep. Like, there are a couple of attachments, and just being able to warp a 5 power unit that returns your Dawnwalker is just such good value. Also, it's pretty good with the uh, Horn, again, so yep. another reason I like it. So overall, uh, I, I like warp as a mechanic better than I thought, and, and Shadow Glass is, I think, the poster child. Like, obviously, Heart of the Vault is busted and insane but like i think that one was hard to overlook even during spoiler season so so i i thought heart of the vault was like i definitely thought it was good but then not as good as it currently is because you know I, I look at the the price tag of casting heart of the vault triple praxis that's like yeah that's kind of hard to hit especially for praxis decks don't that doesn't really have i mean i guess they could play find the ways and, and seek powers but the payoff is just so high that people are building decks just to play and even splash hard vault so yep i'm having him on this list because i i thought he was good but it's really a slam dunk you know knocking mm. out a ballpark kind of card so underrated i guess or previously underrated <laughs> so that's all the the time cards and all the justice card i don't think any justice card was like too crazy so let's let's move to primal so I remember when we first saw Snowcross Yeti, I was like, oh my god, this is going to define the metagame in terms of giving us a slew of aggressive primal decks. It's really just one, the uh, Skycrack yeah. aggro. And it's not, it's like I, I could even make an argument, it's probably like a tier 2 aggro list. It's not that insane. Yeah, especially now with the Flame Blast nerf. Why do you think this? And yeah, other, other decks didn't really um, catch on to playing Snowcross Yeti. Like, I, I would imagine there should be some sort of aggressive Huru list. And there, it seems like the aggressive Huru list are just going more of the flying route instead of the Aegis route. Yeah. Yeah, I think in Huru, you, like, you are lacking reach when 
you could be playing like you're not playing fire you uh, uh so you don't really like if you put your opponent to three it doesn't matter at all whereas in in skycrack or in rakana when your opponent is at three you can always top deck like a torch or an true, obliterate true, true. In, in case of skycrack so it has less reach um and like so I, th I think it has to go with flyers more so that it can actually finish a game and yep. there the yet it doesn't really help i mean there's also the fact that like there are a lot of uh temple scribes running around right now so True. that's that's a bad time for a 2-1 um dodges various favor though so there's that it it does dodge various favor that's true yeah I guess like I guess like the Huru deck just isn't strong enough yet, and the uh, Skycrack deck is playing it. Um, there aren't really any other primal aggressive decks which we thought there might be. I think that's a deck. There's a deck waiting to be found, like a aggressive primal deck that mm -hmm. people definitely should try out. Which might involve this following card: uh, three power Cloud Snake Carrier, double primal requirement for a three-three flyer. Your spells deal plus one damage. I remember you were particularly excited about this card, and right now, yep. the heroes are extinct. I don't think I've seen a single one. Yeah, I haven't seen one in ages. Like I have seen a couple during the first few days of of omens, but um, I haven't seen any since. And I guess it's uh, it's all due to due to the fact that it really only is good in Skycrack mm -hmm. um, because we don't have enough. Uh, burn spells in primal yet and we don't have any in other cards except for i guess various favor and extract so i think it, like the like the the text of cloud snake Harry obviously matters most in skycrack and the skycrack decks just don't really want it as they want to be more heavy on fire and have other good drops at that curve in particular i think you want cheaper burn spells right because mm -hmm. being able to let's say uh, increase your one damage burn spells Essentially, doubling the power with Chaos and Carrier is much more powerful than, you know, upping your decimates by one extra power, yeah. <laughs> extra damage. So, like that doesn't really yep. matters too much. So, um, I was I was thinking, you know, Chaos and Carrier plus some sort of snowball kind of game plan, but mm -hmm. that's maybe for a different day. All right, moving on next, uh, a card that we both thought was for memes, and it might still be for memes. It's called Means to an End. So yep. we kind of mentioned that we, we were going to talk about this card a little bit. Um, I think Serino is the, the player that we found the deck from. Mm -hmm. Basically playing means to an end plus Vara plus Grasping of Shadows with a whole bunch of life gain to mill things and then you Grasp a Shadow back. And then once you Grasp of Shadow back Avara, you bring back Inferno Titan, which deals two to all of your units. And hopefully one of your units lying around is the... Uh, what's that O2? Shadow Slumbering unit. Stone? Slumbering Stone that dies into a 2-2, right? So you basically bring back the the 6-6. Six six, that kills your O2, which summons another Shadow unit. Then because the Shadow unit just got summoned, Vara triggers again to bring back more stuff. If you have two Vara flying around, you could essentially infinite somebody because you keep looping them. And every time you loop them, you discard even more cards to increase your further Vara options for the next round of Vara-ing. And then it's... Uh, you, you can't really go infinite with two Varas just because, like, your uh, Infernal Tyrant will survive. You need to hit another Infernal Tyrant, like, for every for every iteration. Oh, I've been using things like uh, Direwood Beast... Not Direwood Beast Caller. What's, like, 3-drop, three 3-3 three, three that you could kill something and becomes a 5 Beast. Yeah, yeah but you need you need like a sacrifice outlet every time just to get the slumbering stone into your void again. So you can't go infinite with just like you need you need to hit a couple of cards, but like the means to an end helps you hit those cards exactly with the uh, infernal tyrant. So yeah, and eventually you can get a third vera maybe in there, and then up from then it's uh, pretty smooth sailing. So yeah, I, I, I would like want to say that like half the time I win with that deck is through means in it, to an end. Like, you just... Means to an end helps you to find those Vara pieces to combo off, and then it also yeah. deals the, the 25 damage to just kill them. Yeah, and I think that's uh, very smart deck building by Sarino, using means to an end as an enabler and as the killer condition on both parts. Like, he yeah. uses the uh, card to the fullest of its potential, I'd say. And the deck is 
decent. I wouldn't say it's tier one, but I've like I played a couple of games with it on leather, and it's, it's not so only fun. is it is it a lot of fun, but it's also like it it can steal a couple of games. And yeah. I didn't really think that means to end would be able to do that, but yeah. I've been proven wrong, and I am happy for it. Like the means to end deck definitely is uh, an interesting one. Maybe if you are burned out a little bit, uh, you can take a look at that and have a go. You can find it at Sarinus, um Twitch channel, I am sure. Yep. Next card to talk about is Diogo Malaga. Malaga? Yes. Diogo. I think it has been overrated. Like, I am starting to cut Diogo from all my decks right now, okay. currently. Um, just because the ultimate is obviously insanely strong, but before that, it's just uh, like, I don't know. Like, at 8 power, I, c I might as well just play another Heart of the Vault or Predator Carnosaur or what have you. Um, obviously, if I don't have any of those, I'm happy to have Diogo. But uh, usually, I I just I would just rather have him be another card early on. And don't, like... If, if this was a better card early on, I wouldn't necessarily have to ultimate a card at 8 power, is what I'm trying to say here. Um, so I've been very unhappy with him in my opening hands, um, just because he uh, matches up so poorly against uh, other cards in the mirror, and Praxis has been a huge part of the field. Do you feel that this is just not the pr right Praxis unit in the current mid-range Praxis shell that we're seeing? Again, most games are essentially decided by turn 6 or 7. Yeah, quite possibly. Like, like I I, don't, I think it's just... Uh, it, at the moment, I don't see him being a good card in the metagame. I don't necessarily know what needs to change so that he becomes better again, but uh, I've, I've been having more success without Diogo Malaga in my decks recently. Okay. You know, I could see uh, a list where Diogo is much better than it currently is, where you play something like a big Combre shell splashing for things like Heart of the Wall and Diogo, where you're not casting mm -hmm. Heart on turn 6, and you're planning to go to 8, 9, 10, 11 power, where Diogo's yeah, ultimate think, like, really gets to shine. Yeah, um, once you have a couple of maybe harsh rules or Combre healers to slow down the game, I, I think it becomes more interesting yeah. again. Have you gotten a chance to ultimate this because once you do ultimate yeah. it it's like my god you should, <laughs> you just actually go like you just win uh yeah i had the opportunity to do that um to be fair i only drew one unit after it and uh, like every time i activated him like the game was pretty much already over right one way or the other yeah so, so maybe I, like maybe I have um, been on the wrong end of like variance with the card, but like uh, this is what it seemed to me. Like either I can ultimate him and then die, or I ultimate him and I win, but I would have won anyways with any other card as well. So sure. I, I don't know. Maybe I haven't had enough of the games in between where Diogo ultimate is what actually wins you the game. And I have been in many games where Diogo just doesn't ultimate and is just the I don't know a, a poor body to be honest. My best Diogo story is where I ultimated and then I got a Killer Dawnwalker going after that. And I was just like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, Killer Dawnwalker is already pretty good. But when you chunk something for an 8 and you can recur that, ooh, it is, yeah, it seems it is good. dirty. <laughs> okay, uh, another one of your favorites, Kothon, the, the Far Watcher. Yes. From my understanding is that we both thought this card was good. Yes, and I still think it's very good. And you know that I've been excited to put him into a lot of different decks, and I said so uh, on this podcast as well. Um, unfortunately, currently there are very few decks that can support him. Uh, I and I have like it's been a very long time since I last saw them. Um, and they are getting cut from chalice lists. They are getting cut from Mikari blue lists and. Uh, honestly, he doesn't have uh, that high of an impact, uh, or as high of an impact as I would have predicted. And uh, I think that definitely has to do something with the metagame right now, just because the card is inherently super strong, in my opinion. Um, it's just that it's better against aggressive fire decks than it is against time units. Like, it doesn't match up at all against Dawnwalker or Sandstorm Titan or Heart of the Wall. Right. Whereas it's very good against, like, only Ronin, Crownwatch Paladin, Snowcrest Yeti. I'm surprised that it is getting cut by uh, the Chalice players, because I feel like it still is amazing there, right? 
Yeah, it's very... Um, honestly, it's very good in the deck. The problem is that, like, Chalice had, uh, has gotten a lot of cards with the new set, so... Um, it's, it's tough to find the slots. Huh, interesting. I, I just keep... I still get destroyed by this card. Chalice players play this as a 2-3. They make it a 4-5. They make an owl from it. And I'm just like, okay, well... You, you yeah, no, did all of that like, with one card. Yeah. Like, obviously, I, I still love the card. Uh, it just... It, the only deck that does show up recently, though, is the Chalice deck and even those decks. Um, like, I know that uh, Menu S is, uh, has been cutting them from the deck and he hasn't been happy with them. Okay, so next card that uh, I think we both somewhat underestimated is Eileen's Choice. I think I remember mm -hmm. I was uh, pretty high on this card, but definitely did not see how effective this card can be. Both its mode is quite powerful. Negate an enemy spell with cost 4 or more, or kill an attacking attacking unit uh, with 4 swords or more. Um, this is one of those new cards that Chalice got, right? Like, Both modes are so important. When they're trying to rush you down, well, the defensive Eileen's choice is quite good there. Or when they try to harsh rule your board or, or do something crazy, the negate portion of, of the spell is also quite good. I think Definitely. any list that has Huru faction in it, it's you want to maybe consider playing one or two of these because it seems like both modes trigger on quite commonly. For sure. Eileen's choice is like the prime example of a card that trades efficiency for flexibility. Um... So at three power, both of those modes are overcoasted, but the fact that you can like uh, th that there are very very few matchups where lean choice doesn't do at least something uh, means that it's uh, just a great card to main deck for ladder. Yep. Just, yeah. It it just it just won't be a dead card, and oftentimes it's uh, it will be a very very important card even in some matchups, like being able to counter. A harsh rule or a channel the tempest is a pretty huge deal. Pre being able to counter and obliterate is a pretty huge deal, and like it removes all the the giant time units that we keep talking about. So, um, it's it's a card that I uh, initially like. I was not super high about it just because three power is a lot, but the the flexibility of the card just uh, can't be underestimated. So. Well, actually, it could be. Uh, like, I have been able to underestimate it, that, to be fair. <laughs> it shouldn't be underestimated, is what I wanted to say there. <laughs> so moving on, another card that we were very, very terribly wrong about is uh, Caldarian Cradle. Four power with one Skycrag requirement. For every five <laughs> spell you play, play a 5-5 five, five dragon with flying. We we thought this card was absolutely unplayable, and it's it's just like winning tournaments after tournaments right now. Definitely a deck that you should try to check out <laughs> i won't give you the deck list because i'm sure you can find it like on every single website it's very everywhere. powerful deck yeah definitely like, <laughs> the last few yeah. days i couldn't go through my social media without like getting flooded with those tournament winning caldarian cradle deck lists yeah. yeah yeah it's it's definitely something go go try it out if you haven't uh played it yourself <laughs> and finally uh the card that it all begins and ends with is knucklebone a card that you still apparently doubt but uh, like you mentioned, second place finished recently by uh, Lights Out Ace. Mm -hmm. Card's actually very powerful. Um, I think you watched me play this deck a couple of times. And like once you have essentially stabilized, you, you get into this game state of, I'm going to win eventually. Um, and, and the cool yep. thing about this card is that it's that statement, I'm going to win it essentially. Like Even if your opponent knuckle bones you, you still have a couple of turns before like the card advantage completely floods you. Mm -hmm. And those couple of turns to me are like the most interesting games to be played on both the knucklebone player side and also on your side. It's mm -hmm. definitely very, very fun deck to pilot and face against. And it's powerful, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Like, knucklebones is definitely way more powerfully than I initially expected. Yeah, I still don't think it's like tier 1 material, but obviously it's good enough to be played on ladder and or tournaments. Alright, so these are all of the cards that we thought we initially evaluated as being very poor, like Knucklebones or Caldarian Cradle, and, and gotten much better, or the other way around. So right. I don't know if you guys have your own initial evaluations that were quite different. I'm sure I'm sure we all saw uh, Sandstorm Titans in cars when, when they were really just humbugs. <laughs> but uh, <there> was that. 
overall, I underestimated the effect that Slay would have on the meta, meta game. So I thought Slay was a good removal, and it would be played a bunch. But like, um, now I think it's probably the best spot removal, and um, it's it's one of the main reasons that um, that Archimport decks are being successful. Like I think this is um, like just a better card than Bartholo, and it's uh, very comparable to Makto in power level. So. You know, originally I thought, oh, Slay is essentially going to just go into the decks and just replace uh, Vanquish. And it has done that for some decks, but the other thing that I didn't really think about is that if there's a deck that wants you to just overload on removal for whatever reason, Slay just gives you four more copies of extremely playable removal. Mm. I've seen decks where it's just four Vanquish, four Slays, four Sword of the Past, four Harsh Rules. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And sure. it's just like... <laughs> what do you do if you're playing a unit deck? You're just gonna get owned. I think yeah. a couple of weeks back we talked about not even an armory list, but essentially like armory with faction identity with things like fire justice, a shadow, and it was just like auric roomhammer, slays, vanquish, torches, annihilates, with maidens and swords, and it's just like okay, well, uh, I named that deck. I hate your units too, and it really, <laughs> like, it really is that right. So. I think yeah. Slay is, like, we, we all could see it as being a powerful card, but I definitely didn't see its effect as just having yet another extremely playable removal to, like, now you could just get a critical critical density of removal spells if you want. So that's cool. Yep. But, all right, so that's going to do it for our um, kind of reevaluating our previous evaluation of cards. And for the deck of the week, uh, I do want to mention that this list I got from Buckwheat, which I believe is the guy that runs Eternal Warcry. Don't quote me on that one. I'm, I'm not 100% sure on that fact. Uh, but... um, I, I don't think so, to be honest. Okay, so. All right, might be. But uh, basically, he sent me a list where the idea behind it, you're playing Heart of Vault, obviously, because what are you doing with your life right now if you're not playing with Heart of Vault? But he's splashing Shadow to get some other crazy stuff. So... He has Shadow in previously for Dark Returns and Swear Vengeance. And he had things like Excavates. And he, of course, you have things like Predatory Instincts and Xenon Initiation. So follow me, right? So you give your Heart of the Vault Killer. You kill something with it. It trades in combat. It dies. And then you can either Dark Return it or Excavate it to put it back in your hand or top of the library. In which then you can cast it or warp it off your library. Then you kill more things, and then you use the killer effect to kill more things, and then it's just an endless loop. Uh, in previous version of the deck, he also even had Elysian Pathfinder to possibly give Echo to cards that you put back on the library, which then has, you know, essentially double killer and, and double whatnot. So that was kind of the idea of, of the deck. And then you kind of surround it with things like Clock Roaches, which plays extremely well with Dark Return and, and Xena Initiation and killer effects. Dawnwalkers obviously plays well with killer effects. Sandstorm Titan, because it's a time deck. Statuary Maiden, <laughs> Heart of the Vault, and things like that. Um, so I played with the deck a bunch, and to me, it was very, very inconsistent. Uh, in mm -hmm. the sense that the, the list that he made only had 18 units, and you're trying to combine the 18 units with things like Dark Return, Xenon Initiation, Swear Vengeance, right? Like, there are some games where I just drew the other supporting cards and, and not the units. Or there are games yep. where I like I play my Sandstorm Titan, it just gets annihilated, and I don't have a Dark Return to come back. And so essentially, I'm sitting with all of these enablers in my hand that doesn't do anything. So with a couple reiteration of, of the deck I played and with a little bit of help of Rico, basically streamlined the deck a, a little bit, bit, more, uh, bit more. Added things like Amber Acolyte, and uh, added things like Shadow Glass Mage. It still is somewhat of a unit light deck, but we bumped up the number to 25 and we shaved a little bit more from the kind of the cutesy combo y half of it. The combo you have is like the fun half, right? Like it's who doesn't want to destiny back a Heart of the Vault that has killer on it already and, and you just go off. But, <laughs> you know. I, I think this version is a little bit more consistent. So I'll post both version of the deck uh, on top deck time. Uh, I'll put Buckwheat's version first and then 
kind of the the one that I reiterate to, but it's I don't want to say it's a very powerful deck. It's definitely a very interesting and fun one. It's one of those things where you kind of want to try hard half the time. You want to combo off a little bit. It's definitely quite fun. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Like, and the the power of like dark returning uh, clock roaches in the late game is very very interesting. And uh, like dark returning a scene initiation unit is also super strong. Like it has plus two plus two from its base stats, and you get to pretty much kill anything you want with it. Uh, as you mentioned, or as you mentioned, the the main problem is that it kind of is um, feeling like a high syne- highly synergistic deck at times where. When you dark return an echo unit with killer, it like it feels like one of the best things you've ever done. Right. And then there's the times when you like draw dark return and scene initiation and like it's removal and then you're pretty sad about your life. So yeah, there's there's something there, but like it's hard to make it work smoothly yeah. as of now. Actually, can we talk about Xena Initiation as a card that perhaps we've undervaluated previously as well? Sure. Can we add that to yeah, our list? That's fair enough. Yeah, yeah, because this this car is just absolutely everywhere. I think because we're currently in a state of what Ilya K calls it as the mid range soup, where everybody <laughs> is slamming titans into each other and having that one extra point, and of course using the killer effect is quite powerful. So you see a pair with Dawnwalker a lot, putting on Sandstorm Titan to kill opposing Sandstorm Titan is amazing. Um, it yeah. does a lot of work in this deck. But obviously, it's been doing a lot of work. In, it in kind the, of reminds well. me a little bit about, um, like, uh, inspiring on the rune hammer. Like the plus one plus one, it might not seem like a lot, but suddenly you can take out units that you couldn't before. Exactly. Yeah, and that's why you play Tinker Apprentice, which. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's a, exactly. that's just a top deck time joke for a long time listeners out there. <laughs> Satyr Maiden plus Zena Initiation. Mm. Get me there. Oh, yeah. Statuary Maiden, by the way. Kawaii girl. Best girl. Cutest girl. Statuary Baden. There you go. Okay. I'm done with this deck. We're talking <laughs> about this deck. Is there any more Eternal stuff that you want to talk about this week? Um, To be honest, unfortunately or fortunately, uh, depends on your point of view, I haven't been able to play too much Eternal. As I've been on a vacation, as I said in the beginning, so I yep. don't have any exciting thing for you this week, unfortunately. So let's talk about the exciting thing that's perhaps most likely coming next week. We okay. have, uh, well, actually, I, why don't you talk about it? Because you're better friends with Tony G. Um, so if all goes right, uh, we will be having Tony G on our next week's episode uh, to talk about. Uh, changes and nerfs to Amory and how he wanted to evolve the deck to um, basically be a tier 1 deck again. Uh, and if all goes well, we will have him here next episode to talk about all that. Are you a, are you an Armory believer? Uh, oh, I definitely am. I think like like reforging a Runehammer seems like such a strong play and reforging a Daisho that I don't think like that the Smuggler Stash hit was that big. Um... Like the problem is probably mostly inspire, um, because sure, like yeah. the most most decks, uh, armory decks only also only played one flail, and if you are removing the stashes, you like the the loss of flail isn't too big. So I definitely think that armory is still can still be a big play. And I know that if one person can figure out a good list, it's probably Tony Chi. Like he has played the deck a a literal ton. Like. Uh, he's he, he's I, I don't know that's something I admire about him. Like I I play Eternal and I like building decks and I like and I like playing for a bunch. But like Tony, he can sit down and play like a hundred games in a row and and not be worried about it. <laughs> <laughs> so if if anybody can can hammer out a good a, de- a good deck list, it's probably him. So I'm very excited about it. Yeah. For the first time in top deck time, we're gonna actually get some somebody good on this show to talk about yeah. Eternal for a change. So somebody to look forward to next week. And maybe we can present a top deck. Yes, for once. I mean, that would be that would be quite something, right? You know, the thing is, like, are you playing the top deck of Eternal right now? And every week we're playing some janky brew, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shepherd's Horn, and I mean, honestly, these these decks could win. We're playing these decks at, at Master, you know, it's fine, it's fine. Sure. 
but we're gonna get some real top decks next week so looking forward to that credit where credit is due steve cakes is running eternal war cry and we are sorry to make you believe otherwise i am sorry because my sources <laughs> are incorrect but what is correct about my sources is that uh the intro and concluding music is uh, done by Fat Rat and it's called Amonity. So thank you for letting us use that. You have been listening to another exciting episode of Top Deck Time where we don't talk about <laughs> top decks. But uh, hopefully we will see you next, next week. For Rico, I am Luminous. Thank you for listening and we'll Thanks see you listening. next time. Bye, guys. Bye.